The Westminster Confession begins by saying this. It says, The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You know, that's the reason you're created. That's the reason everything you see exists. is for the glory of God. We're looking at the whole story of Scripture, and it begins like this. The text tells us, in the beginning, God. And last week we took some time looking at who God is, and he's at the very beginning of the story, of his story. It's all about him. He's the main character. This is all for him. And then the next thing we see is his creation where God creates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created them, he said they were very good. They were good. And we're going to see from the text this morning that the way he created them is he spoke it into existence. You ever thought about that? How many things have you just spoken and there it was? You get up in the morning, you sit down at the table for breakfast, and you're like, Cheerios, pop, there it is. Anybody? <laughs> Maybe if you've got a really good mom, she's good to you that way and brings you Cheerios. But probably not. But God spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Well, all of creation was made for one specific purpose, and it's to glorify God. He's the main character of the story. This is his story that you and I are a part of. And it's all about him. Let let me tell you, let me clue you in to a simple fact. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about God. Now you're created in his image, we'll see this morning, so that because we have this likeness to him, sometimes in our human or in our fallen nature, We pretend that we're actually God when, no, in reality, we're just kind of like him. We're created like him. And the story isn't about us. It's about God. All of creation exists for one purpose, and that's to glorify God. And there's two pieces to creation, if you want to break it down into simple terms. There's, There's lower creation, and then there's higher creation. And by lower creation, we mean everything other than humanity. And lower creation includes the universe. And the universe demonstrates the vastness of God's creation. Or if I wanted to sound smart this morning, I'd say the vastness of his creation, right? It's the vastness of his creation. I had a lot of plans this morning of stuff that I was going to share with you, all these different facts and figures and cool stuff to demonstrate the vastness of God's creation to you. But instead... I'm going to go here for a little bit, and then I'm going to show you actually a video of of someone else teaching some of these things in a way that is so much more powerful than I could ever do it. And I'm just going to be humble and say, you know what? He communicates it better, so let's see how he communicates it so that you could grow and learn more. But before we go there, first just look at Psalm 8, verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place... That God created this. He set them in place. He goes on and says, how majestic, that's the psalm where it says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
The majesty of the, the universe declares the vastness of his creation. Isaiah 40, 26, God says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he's strong in power, not one is missing. You ever looked up in the sky and tried to count the stars? You ever done it? Maybe when you were a little kid? You ever try to count them? You probably didn't make it very far before you're like, I don't know if I counted that one yet or not. And you lose track. You're like, I'm not sure if that's a star or a plane or what's going on. And you lose track of them, yet God knows them all by name. He spoke and they're there. And he, he doesn't lose track of one of them. Well, as you move up the ranks of lower creation, you come to the earth and everything that's in it. And it declares the majesty of God's creation. The majesty of it. Watch Discovery Channel for a while and be in awe at what your God created. Isaiah 45 says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens and heavens, he is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Genesis 2.9, The Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and they produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the thing you need to know is that the earth is unique among all planets. There's nowhere else where life has been found to be sustained. I mean, think about it. If They keep saying, oh, there's water on Mars. Maybe there's life or maybe there was life. But nobody's found it. There's all this speculation and, and there's nowhere else. Like if the, if the earth was just a little bit off in its orbit, we wouldn't exist. We'd either freeze to death. You're thinking like, yeah, I think we're, we're moving far away from the sun this morning because it's cold in here. <laughs> or you're a little bit closer, we'd burn up, right? It's, it's, it's the only place where life could be sustained. It's unique in that it has life and it's the only place where life could really be sustained. God's just miraculously, precisely put it in the perfect place. And it's incredibly beautiful. Incredibly beautiful. Now, I'm going to show a video to you here. And uh, this will last probably 15, 20 minutes, somewhere in there. So kick back, enjoy it. Maybe we'll turn the light. Ushers can turn the lights down as we do. Um, But I don't think you'll fall asleep. Watch this as a a pastor by the name of Louis Giglio describes God's creation to us. If there's anything that could happen tonight, our heart is that we will leave tonight with at least a couple of things having happened to us. One being that our view of God will be completely blown up all over again and that the view that we have of God will be expanded in this place tonight. And that we will leave here with the confidence that he is able to hold on to us and hold us together no matter what circumstances come our way in this lifetime. And if you were with us on the indescribable tour, we sort of took a swing at that first part, looking at the bigness of God and the greatness of the universe. Anybody make it out to the indescribable tour, by the way? A few of you guys were there. 
The story of it in a nutshell was that the heavens are telling the glory of God. Their expanse declares the work of his hands. In other words, all you have to do is look up and you see the size of the God that we're worshiping tonight. We ended that. Just a little review with this galaxy right here, the Whirlpool Galaxy. You're like, man, alive. We're talking about astronomy at a Christian worship service. Why not? The God that we're worshiping tonight is the one who created that right there. It's called the darling of astronomy. The reason why is it's sitting completely perpendicular to us on earth. And when we look up at it, we get this beautiful view. But check this out. The Whirlpool Galaxy is 31 million light years away from where you're sitting right now. Okay, they got nothing in here tonight. 31 million light years away. That's just the first little thing we got to catch up with tonight. By the way, the story opens like this. In case you forgot, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And that was a phenomenal moment when that happened. Because light came out of the mouth of God, traveling 186,000 miles a second. That's how fast light is traveling through the universe. And so a light year, therefore, is how far light travels in one year. And I'll do the math for you. It's 5.88 trillion miles is a light year. So as we talked about before, when you start to get around in the neighborhood of God, the mile is not going to help you. The yardstick, the ruler, the tape measure, these things are of no value in the universe that God has made. We're using a ruler called a light year that's 5.88 trillion miles long. And if you'd like to go to the Whirlpool Galaxy, be my guest. All you have to do is multiply 31 million, that's how many light years it is away, by 5.88 trillion miles, and that's the distance that you've got to cover. Anybody with me so far? I'm I'm wondering, are there any science lovers here tonight? Because we're going to have a little scientific content tonight, and I need to know if anybody's going to be with me so far. So you do the math, or you could look at it a different way. You just have to travel 186,000 miles a second for 31 million years, and voila, you will arrive at the Whirlpool Galaxy. Second thing that's pretty stunning, given that our God made that, is it contains 300 billion stars in that one galaxy, 300 billion stars. And it is one of hundreds of billions of other galaxies in the known universe that God has made. And it just reminds us all over again tonight, man, this God that we're singing to tonight, he's enormous. He's bigger than anything we've ever dreamed of. He's bigger than our wildest imagination of him. But we ended by looking inside that thing, and this is pretty stunning. Those of you who've seen it remember, but the Hubble Space Telescope is circling the Earth at 360 miles above the Earth, and it takes amazing images of these galaxies and other phenomenon of of the cosmos, and it looked into that white core of the Whirlpool Galaxy, and lo and behold, there is a black hole in there. And we'd never seen it before until Hubble could take an image of it, and I found this on NASA's site, hubblesite.org. This is what... Hubble sent back to us from 31 million light years away from the black hole core of the Whirlpool Galaxy. They send us back this image right here. And it's just crazy. It's crazy. It's the glory of God, the grandeur of God. It's the grace of God and the mercy of God everywhere we look. It's the imprint of God in all of creation everywhere we turn. And tonight we just want to begin with the bigness of God, the, the grandeur of God all over again. We're going to do it by looking at four stars. Can, can you handle four stars tonight? The first one's easy because there's just one star in our solar system and that star is called the 
sun. Thank you very much. Yes, it's our own star. It's, uh, there's an image of it for you, by the way. It's a little more fierce than we often think. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, but what I want you to see about it is how big it is. It's 93 million miles away, so when you're looking up in the sky, it's pretty good pace out there. By the way, light traveling 186,000 miles a second, it's only taken eight minutes to cover that 93 million mile journey to touch your skin here in Atlanta, Georgia. But what I want you to see is the size of it. It's like a million times the size of the earth, and that matters to us tonight when you hear what the psalmist said. Listen to his words. By the word of the Lord, this is Psalm 33, the heavens were made. In other words, God didn't lift a finger when he made the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. But he goes on to say, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So we're looking at something so intense that we don't want to get any closer than 93 million miles away, which is what we are right now. And then we read that God just breathes out stars. It's crazy to think about it. A million times the size of the earth. So here's a little perspective that sort of changed my life. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either. So let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent Earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you've found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the Earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the Earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put... 960,000 earths inside the sun. So if the earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15 foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside the 15 foot in diameter sun. It's a massive star and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. It's huge and we're worshiping a star breathing God tonight. But I want to tell you about the second star, okay? Because the second star absolutely wrecked my life. I heard about it when I was a high school student here in Atlanta. One of our youth leaders did a talk and he mentioned this star. I didn't know how to talk to God for about two months after I heard about this star. It's called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse. You can pick your pronunciation. I'm obviously going with Betelgeuse. And Betelgeuse is incredible. Here it is in the night sky. I know it doesn't look incredibly ferocious. But it's 427 light years away. So that's 427 times 5.88 trillion miles away from us right now. Draw it in a little closer with the Hubble Space Telescope. And you can start to get a little bit of the feeling of its intensity. But this is the crazy thing about Betelgeuse. Are you ready for this? Betelgeuse is twice the size. Are you ready? You think I'm going to say twice the size of the sun? Oh, no. It's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun, Betelgeuse is. It's crazy. If the earth were a golf ball, (laughs) Betelgeuse would be the height of six Empire State buildings on top of each other. 
No, come on. Have you seen the Empire State Building? I mean, maybe what you're going to need to do is gather the family, get a golf ball, get some plane tickets, and fly up to New York. And you're going to go into Midtown, you're going to take your golf ball and put it on the sidewalk outside the Empire State Building. Don't worry about people thinking you're crazy. They're not even going to notice you in New York. You're going to go across the street, you're going to look up at the Empire State Building and imagine five more Empire State Buildings on top of the Empire State Building. That's Beetlejuice, and that's the earth, and somewhere you're on it. You could fit 262 trillion earths inside Beetlejuice. So if the earth were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill up the Superdome with golf balls. 3,000 times. (laughs) When I heard that as a teenager, that stumped me right there. Because most of my praying had been advising God, correcting God, (laughs) suggesting things to God, drawing diagrams for God, reviewing things with God, counseling God. The third star, let's just, can you go a little bit bigger with me? The third star is called Musifi. Here it is in the night sky. It's that gold star to the top left. We, we have the big image of it. It's 3,000 light years away, but I just want you to see it in the, in the span of all these little glittering stars so that you know that at times when you look up at night, it is not just twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. I'm telling you what you are. What you are is intense and huge and massive and ferocious is what you are. And, and this one used to be called Herschel's Garnet Star. Check it out. If the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Musifi would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. Apparently, you're going to need to go from New York to the West Coast. Go to San Francisco with your family and your golf ball. Place your golf ball at the beginning of the Golden Gate Bridge. Go across the bay into Oakland to a high place where you can see the entire Golden Gate Bridge. Another second Golden Golden Gate Bridge will be in your imagination. Span all the way back the two Golden Gate Bridges to the very beginning and find your golf ball over there. That's the earth and somewhere you're on it. One of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's so big you could fit 2.7 quadrillion earths inside this one star. Thank you so much. Where have you been all night? Now, quadrillion we have not talked about, and I need to explain this just briefly because I don't know about you, but I do not understand the national debt or any numbers bigger than about $875.28. I get that number. Go bigger than that, I don't know. But you need to understand a quadrillion, okay, because this star is crazy big. A quadrillion, uh, let's do it this way. Everybody knows a million, right? How many you know what a million is? You can kind of get your head around a million. Everybody? All right. You know that a billion is a thousand million and a trillion is a thousand billion and a quadrillion is a thousand trillion, right? Everybody knew that? Here's the perspective. This changed my life, right? A million seconds ago, 12 days ago. Isn't that cool? See, that saves you doing that on your little calculator at home, which I dare you to try to do when you get home tonight. But a billion seconds ago? You're thinking, oh my goodness, if it's 12 days ago, I'm going all the way back to like September with you, Louie. This must be crazy, right? How about May 1975 is a billion seconds ago. You're like, whoa, that's a little bit bigger than a million. Oh yeah, 
a trillion seconds ago, you're like, uh-huh, I'm on the 1800s. No. Christopher Columbus? No. 29,700 BC is a trillion seconds ago. A quadrillion seconds ago, 30,800,000 years ago is a quadrillion seconds ago. We're talking about a really large number, and Musifi is so big, you could put 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside this one star. But it is not even the biggest star we have found. I love science. And science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this, Canis Majoris. Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh, wow. If the earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Thank you. You just saved your family plane fare from California to Kathmandu, Nepal. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet. And I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion earths inside Canis Majoris. That's enough earths if the earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in to the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. But Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. I just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the earth. That's Neptune. The earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by. Little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention. Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, W. Sifi. 
Canis Majoris. And do you know that you couldn't come up here right now with a Sharpie and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun? You couldn't even do it. I mean, when you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. And um, can you hang on that for me? And when you see this, I don't know what happens to you, but I'll tell you what happens to me. A shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad shrinking feeling. It's a good shrinking feeling. Because sin, it has a, a way of shrinking God down in our minds and puffing us up in our own estimation. But just a glance into the universe that God has made resizes everything in a heartbeat. And you realize tonight, we are worshiping an unrivaled, uncontested God of all kind of might and power and glory and awe, who is, there's none like him anywhere in all of creation tonight. We are not here worshiping some little teeny tiny God. We are the teeny tiny ones, you and me. We are small and weak and fragile and frail. We are, you and me tonight, one of six and a half billion people on this little golf ball sized planet in this massive universe that God has made. The psalmist says it this way, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, the creation is speaking about the main character in the story. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their are words to the end of the earth. Everybody hears them. In them he set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. In Psalm 8, we read part of this earlier, but it says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes still the enemy, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, tell me if you feel this way now. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him. Who am I that you're mindful of me? Do you ask that question after seeing the grandeur of God's creation and the majesty of what he's created? Do you know what's incredible? Is that despite how vast and how majestic all of God's creation is and how tiny you and I are on our little golf ball, he uses illustration. You and I are the pinnacle of this creation. Not the stars, not the sky, but humanity. Humanity is the absolute pinnacle and highlight of God's creation. When we talk lower creation and higher creation, you're part of higher creation. You have greater value and worth and majesty than 
anything that we just saw. That's incredible. And it's because of of God's love for you and the fact that unlike anything else in all of creation, humanity is the pinnacle because we've been created in God's image. Here's how the account goes in the story of how God created us. Then God said in Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make man, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The text goes on in verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. The pinnacle of all creation is humanity. It's you and it's me. That's not to give you a big head, but it's to give you a a view of who God thinks you are. You're the highlight of his creation. You're created in his image. And you got to get this. Your part in the story is bigger than anything else in creation's part of the story. You're part of the story God's writing and you're moving it forward to the time when he's going to fix everything that gets messed up a little later. And he's going to restore everything to the goodness and the perfectness and the harmony that was there in the beginning. And the reason that you're the highlight of the story, of his story, of his creation, excuse me, is the fact that you're made in his image. So what does that mean? What does it mean that you bear God's image? I've described it a lot of times as a mirror, right? That unlike anything else that's created, you image God or you mirror him. And it's like he created you as a mirror to reflect who he is. Part of bearing God's image means that you reflect God. You reflect certain attributes of his. You you reflect the fact that he's creative, You reflect this creativity. Your children reflect God's creativity. When when they're out in the yard and they pick up a stick and it becomes a sword, the little boy does, it's because they, they bear this creative nature just like God does. He's creative. That's part of bearing his image. That we create things and we create beauty and we value beauty because our God's beautiful. We reflect God in the fact that we're able to communicate. That I can sit here and talk to you and you understand what I'm saying if you're still awake. Right? You understand what I'm saying. And you can interact with me and and you you can communicate. Now, you can be like, I don't know, Josh. I've seen lower creation communicate. I've watched Lassie when I was a kid. And like Lassie comes in barking and Timmy knows right what she means, right? Like she communicates. Yeah, but... 
I'm talking beyond just like a couple things here and there. And I'm talking communication. Like I can communicate my heart to you. I can communicate feelings to you and emotion to you. And I can communicate the story of God to you. And in a real tangible way, I can communicate affection towards you. I can communicate all those things. Our God is a God who's relational, we saw last week. And we, in bearing his image, part of that, we reflect him by being able to communicate. Being able to reason is part of reflecting God's image. Now, Lassie may have some intelligence, right? But I don't know that Lassie can, can reason and figure out the square root of 24. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can do that either. But we have reason and intelligence, and, and that's part of bearing God's image. There, there's nothing else created other than humanity that can do that. You're relational. We love others. We show affection and, and emotion. We reflect them in, in marriage and in families and having communion together and intimacy and that's a reflection of the triune nature of God who's created us in his image. And, and part of bearing his image means we've got to be in relationship with one another. Because God's Trinity and he's in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you feel empty and you feel like I, I'm not quite, there's something wrong when I don't have a friend. It's because that's part of how God's created you to be like him. You, you reflect God, you also represent God. You're his representatives on this earth. You get that? You represent him. You bring justice and goodness and peace to a world that needs it desperately and needs to know who he is. You represent him to creation and to others. You represent him by showing kindness, by showing the kindness of God to his creation and to one another. You represent him by being morally responsible. That's, that's part of bearing God's image. Nothing else in creation is morally responsible. But you and I are. We'll face judgment for our sin and for the ways we've lived our lives before him. And you're created, the third thing, kind of these three R's, reflect, represent, and then you're created to rule for God. And represent and rule kind of merge together a little bit. But you, you rule for him. You're tasked right there in Genesis 1 to... To rule and subdue his creation. Maybe the best way to think about this is to govern it, to care for it. You realize Adam and Eve, you're, some of us think like, we're going to get to heaven and things going to be good. I'm not going to have to work. Life's going to be great. I'm going to lounge around all day. It, in the beginning, in the garden, Adam and Eve were to work. Except their work was enjoyable and fruitful. You're created to work and to rule and subdue and govern his creation and care for it. And what you need to understand is that God is the, the beginning of the story. He's the star of the story. And then when God creates everything, he, he says it's good. And the, the, the vastness of his creation is, is unfathomable. And yet when you even start to get your tiny little mind around it, and then you realize that, that I'm the majesty and the, the pinnacle and the highlight of his creation that demonstrates his love for you and his care for you. And what we're going to see is later in the story, because we look around and we look at life and we go, it's, all not, it's really not that good. I mean, there's a lot of things that are messed up, Josh. What happened? Well, 
we messed it up. We sinned. We turned from him. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And because of that, we deserve his wrath. And yet what he does is is later as we get through the story, he, he promises to fix what we messed up and he sends Jesus to be our redeemer and our savior so that we could have our mirror put back together in a sense and be able to image him more perfectly again. If you've never trusted him, in light of who he is and the majesty of his creation and his love for you, repent, turn to Jesus. Repent just means to turn, to turn from your way of thinking about the world and your way of thinking about life and turning to him, turning from your sin to Jesus. He promises to save you, to restore you, to redeem you. But you need to turn. And for those of us who have turned, maybe this week will be a week when we think about God's creation and we think of ourselves living before God in the face of the God who spoke and created all of that. And when you really consider it, Boy, it does, like, he, like Louis said, I mean, it makes it pretty foolish to say, God, why'd you screw this up? Or why'd you make this happen? <laughs> okay, go read Job and see how he responded to Job when Job, he said, were you there when I created the heavens and the earth? Were you there when I measured things out and spoke everything into existence? And Job ends up replying, said, you're right. I've spoken of things that are too marvelous for me. You're God, I'm not. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and thanks for your grace to us through him. It's incredible to think of your creation for one. It's impossible for us to get our minds around really and truly who you are and your power and your majesty and your creativity, your glory. But Father, we recognize that everything that has been created, everything that exists ultimately exists for your glory to to reflect you, to show your goodness and your majesty and your power. And when we do that, we stand in awe of you. And then it's even more incredible to think like the psalmist wrote, who am I that you would be mindful of me? And yet your word's clear that the reality is you've created all of this below us and you've created us as the highlight and the pinnacle of your creation as the ones who will, who will carry the story forward and who, who image you. When, when you look at the vastness of everything else you created and yet it's humanity that images you and images your character and who you are. Remind us of that, that we have great value and dignity and worth simply because of being created in your image. And help us to live before you in such a way that we don't and follow Jesus with our whole heart. I pray for those, Father, today who maybe have never trusted you, who've never repented of their sin and turned to you. Holy Spirit, would you work in their heart in such a way that they'd be in awe of your majesty and uh, clearly aware of of their own sin and their, their shortness before you. But then knowing that Jesus would redeem them and save them if they'd simply repent and turn to you. And I pray today that they might. Father, we love you. Uh, take our gifts now as we give them to you. We, we um, give them to you because we love you and because you loved us first. We pray all this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.